Have you ever heard the expression, there's no there there? Well, let's ask the question. Is there there there? That's our podcast from the full-service digital storytelling agency, Graphic Machine. I'm Matt Staub. I'm a partner here at Graphic Machine, here with the other two partners of Graphic Machine, Brian Jones. Hello. And Patience Jones. Hello. This is episode 60, the hyperbole edition. This is literally the greatest episode of a podcast you will ever hear in your entire life, and maybe in the afterlife, if you even believe in it. It is... (laughs) incredible that's pretty big it's going to revolutionize everything about your life and we are so excited to bring it to you we have not been more excited about anything (laughs) in our entire life would you say that's accurate i actually think that's understating the (laughs) situation i can't say enough and that's kind of a problem because in many ways business communicators can't say enough because there's so much crazy hyperbole we are reacting this week to google io which was a couple of weeks ago and the apple worldwide developers conference which is actually wrapping up this week and how we're a little bit underwhelmed with the announcements they're still announcing amazing things but we're so used to revolutionary products or these huge announcements and big hyperbole and it doesn't just end at apple and google it goes down to every business saying that every press release is the most amazing thing so if you actually do have an amazing thing how do you talk about it and how as a consumer do you parse all this ridiculous hyperbole so if you guys could just sort that out for me (laughs) in the most amazing way It's really hard to come up with a fine line between talking enough so that people remember that you exist and also really shouting out about things that are important to you or that you think people should take note of. I struggle with that, just thinking about that. If you're playing at the level that Google or Apple are playing at, it's a very different part of the equation because what you say impacts your stock value. Mm, Interesting. They go directly to jail. Do not pass go. May contain material information. Yes. Well, it's a problem that gets compounded too, depending on who else is in the same industry. So you may not want to say, I literally have the best thing that's ever happened to anyone. But if all of your competitors are saying that, in order to be heard, your neon sign has to be brighter than theirs. It's a mixed metaphor, but I think you know what I mean. But then you also have the problem of neon filters when you're so used to this hyperbole, when people stop listening, and then how do you even break through as a communicator when you can't win? Right. Something to think about maybe is the way that super luxury brands position themselves. So like Prada won't say, these are the best shoes that you've ever seen. The design is amazing. They just show you a picture of the shoes. Quite confidence. Yeah, and the idea that if you're their target customer, you already know how great this is. That doesn't necessarily always work, though, at different spaces. I definitely understand the tendency to be a little bit more audacious or a little bit over the top about your language whenever you're talking about something, especially if the product that you're trying to pitch is not a luxury brand that maybe could have the quiet confidence. And also, it's hard for new entrants and technology. Some of these companies are victims of their own success because for a long time, the hyperbole about game-changing, life-changing, all these Mm -hmm. hyperbolic words. For Apple, when they're releasing an iPhone that literally changed the game, Mm -hmm. it was kind of living up to the hype. And now they're like, this is the most amazing copycat service of a music service (laughs) that, you know, you can't. You can't continue to deliver on that level. The reality is you maybe have one or two of those in your company's life cycle. You don't have probably a hundred of them. Although, in fairness, Apple's had, in Google too, more than their fair share, I would say. Definitely. It's more an exception when one of these companies doesn't dazzle us with something. And there were a few dazzling things. Let's actually explore that music service thing. That was basically the highlight of Apple's release. They have their own music service. It's like a streaming service like Spotify. It's trying to differentiate a little bit, but it doesn't feel very Apple. It's using a lot of different partners. 
part of the question that I have is if you're going to try to compete with an existing service where people have preconceived notions and because they filter, they're like, oh, it's just another streaming service. Google, their highlight really was Google Photos, which was like a cloud storage for your photos and you could sort them and you can find things. And it's doing some really innovative things, but a lot of people were like, oh, it's cloud storage for photos. Okay, boring. How much do you have to do above this because of everyone's BS filter because of all the hyperbole? My feeling was that the music service was number two on their docket. It was never intended to be their number one on their docket. And they pulled the TV lineup, which I think would have actually been a much more exciting developers conference had it come out because there were a lot of rumors surrounding the idea that finally apps were going to make their way to the television set. And that is pretty game-changing as far as how you can use your set-top device in a more robust way. And it actually could replace cable in a way that other set-top boxes just haven't been able to quite tackle in the same way yet. As usual, of course, Google already does it, and nobody notices because they're not very good at telling their story. (laughs) That's true. An Android set-top box. So you just think that they just weren't ready for primetime with that, so they pulled it from their lineup. They had just signed a deal with CBS the week prior, or CBS had alluded to the fact that they were going to sign the deal, and that was sort of the last major network content provider that would allow them to compete with, say, the Time Warners of the world or the Google Fibers of the world on a content basis. That kind of goes to my view of how Apple manages the hyperbole versus how Google manages the hyperbole. To talk about the music service, Apple doesn't have to say it's the best or differentiate it. All they have to do is get all the music. And then you're going to go there because that's the place you have to go to hear Taylor Swift. Or you just have to be Apple because people trust you and it's going to be on the devices and it's going to work well with the devices by design. And I think Google's is, okay, we don't have to necessarily have all the hyperbole. We're just going to keep pushing. We're just going to keep putting things in the market. We're just Mm going to be everywhere. You're going to see us everywhere and you'll use some of our products. This is Apple's second or third attempt in the music space. What was the one that started with a P that was sort Ping. of... There's a little social network that was a, a total failure. dead on arrival. Yeah. We never and remember Apple's failures, though. It's interesting. They're very good at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that can be true of a lot of tech companies. You know, that That's true. They you never hear you know, Ping jokes like you hear Google Wave jokes, though. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. This particular round seems more interesting because it feels a little bit more focused than some of their other efforts in this space in the past. Apple is starting to get religion on the services front, something that they have not been great at historically, but they don't think that they've hired the right people yet to execute that. It's a really interesting convergence because to your point, they have not been great at services. They sell really shiny aluminum things, feats of industrial design, and then they tack on some services that get bloated and crappy, like don't get me started on iTunes. And then Google has been the opposite. That's where their focus is. So that's why Google makes crappy devices and awesome tools and Apple the other way around. And it's interesting to watch them converge and see some really amazing Android devices coming out. And then you're actually seeing some services that are starting to really realize some potential with Apple. For me, the big takeaway from both is the new trend that is emerging. And I think it's the most relevant for businesses in the future is the idea that the app container is breaking down and we're starting to see a need to have web services be available to other apps to pull content and information. So Just when you thought, oh, the web is kind of going away or not going to be as important, I actually think it will become even more vital and important over the next handful of years, mostly because I think that will mean for companies, you'll have to rethink how you build web infrastructure to allow your content to be gathered and used. That's a big change. 
Yeah, apps are becoming more like individual interactive elements of an operating system that work together to create a larger experience instead of just a thing you experience when you launch it. I think it was Oracle that filed the lawsuit about how APIs should be things that you can charge a fee for or charge a licensing fee. And I actually think this all relates because if you think about the app container breaking down and you think about that web services are going to need to hook together well, how are they going to hook together through APIs? And so you're looking at the dawn of what will be the next money-making mechanism for the electronic services field. And for the unnerdery among you, APIs are just back-end connectors between different pieces of software or services. I think the application program interfaces. So it's something for marketers to take note of that that's where you're going to need to think about how to sell. It's an ever-interconnected world. So how do you sell? Let's assume that you really do believe that your product is like the most best greatest you thing. You stole my next question. Oh no. Do you want to host sorry. this episode? No, I do not. Bringing us back on task. <laughs> we're talking Trying. about APIs. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the best topic. That is a great question. If you really do believe you have some big news or you're trying to innovate a part of an existing world because that's a lot of what innovation is to the point of if you're just another photo service and you get rounded down and people are kind of lazy, they have their buckets and they want to put you in a bucket. How do you break out of that? You look at Dropbox and what happened to them they were really great about getting out there and connecting to everything. You couldn't mm. throw a stone without being able to connect to Dropbox through a service or through something. And they just got really lazy on the innovation front and Google rightly took it over and is really owning the space of cloud storage and cloud documentation, that sort of thing. What you can take away from that is the notion that they got that you have to see your company as a connector between two places and that people pass through you in terms of your service, that is the core of the future. I think that's true. I think we saw this in both conferences. Google, when they announced Photos, their new tool, they launched it that day. Apple has increasingly been more swift, at least with their services, maybe not their devices, to let people start to experience them. When they launch a new operating system, now they let you upgrade for free and you get to do that really quickly. So they kind of keep things in wraps. And so I think the idea of trust me, it's awesome is maybe completely dead yeah. or mostly dead. And now it's just a moment of, I am going to get you excited and prove this. And there will be this layer of skepticism permanently. And companies are just going to have to be agile about delivering on that promise quickly. So I think that's what you've got to do. Which means that the thing that you produce has to be actually good. <laughs> and I think there's no appetite for vaporware, which is the no. uh, yeah. term for promises that may be coming in the next version. Maybe if you have a very specific industry and you're, Vaporware is really innovative and you can sell on that, but in a consumer market, I don't see that working. I think it also assumes a kind of brand loyalty that we just don't see anymore. People are willing to switch. One of the most interesting things to come out of the developer conference is that Apple has removed a significant number of barriers that would make it easier for people to transition from Android to iOS if they so desired, which is the first time that that has been something that they have even tried to do, which is an admission in its own way. They're reaching out in a way that they just would never have done before. And eventually they've sold so many devices they need to actually have ongoing revenue from their services. Yep. So have we solved the hyperbole problem, PJ? Completely and totally. I think this is (laughs) one of the most insightful analyses of this problem I have ever heard in my entire life. Nay, one of the best pieces of rhetoric I've ever heard. Please buy my vitamins. One of the classics. Somebody said to me once, and I thought it was such good advice. If you feel like you're being too hyperbolic, think about what Ernest Hemingway would do. How would Ernest Hemingway say the thing that you're trying to say? And Ernest Hemingway, 
not my most favorite author, but I do appreciate the skill in using so few words Mm -hmm. to convey so much meaning. That's the challenge though, right? You want to just be straightforward, respect the intelligence of people, but also realize that you have the neon sign problem you mentioned, PJ. All right, well, let's light up a new neon sign that announces the next segment of the show, and that is blinky, blinky, blink, amazing. Out there's (laughs) and there there's. Out there's are things that we found out on the internet were interesting or awesome or cool or you shared with us and we'll share with you. And there there's are condolences for things that didn't go great or we thought were kind of weird. And we'll start our round of out there's and there there's this week with Mr. Brian Jones. My out there, and definitely isn't out there, is for Pizza Hut, who this week announced at their Hong Kong stores that they're running a campaign where they've had these custom pizza boxes printed that are covered in comic art through graphic novel art by this revered artist in Hong Kong. But the best feature of this is that inside the box, you get the normal thing that holds up the top of the box from getting onto the cheese. Which I used to call little doll tables. Yeah, those Perfect. Little... <laughs> you punch out the front of the box, you put what is now a lens inside the front of your box in your pizza box, and we'll share the video to how all this happens, uh, because you really have to behold yeah, it to appreciate amazing. the grandeur. And on the back, you use your phone to scan a pre-set of movies that are available to you, so you get a movie and a pizza in a box, essentially, and you can play it and broadcast it from your phone onto your wall using the lens that was inside the box. I love this mostly because it's this really tactical way that the web connects people and creates new experiences in a way that we just hadn't seen, I don't think, quite that way before. Very innovative, yeah. I'm skeptical about how well it will work. And that's why right now I'm going to abuse my power. Aaron Thacker, I know you listen to this show and you're married to the director of social at Pizza Hut. You should tell Jenna that Brian needs one of these pizza boxes, (laughs) whatever it takes. Make it happen, please. Let's make it happen. We'll do a little video. We'll put it on the... We'll website. do whatever. We'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> we'll literally do the most amazing things you have ever experienced. Say what you will. It could be a gimmick, sure. Absolutely. But I love the way that it centers the product around the experience. And I think, God, that's so great when you can do that. Yeah, it, it, it totally is a gimmick, but that's okay because yeah. it's actually a pretty compelling gimmick. And it, it kind of doesn't matter. The movies are kind of like schlocky B-horror movies, which are kind of fun in their own way. I don't know. I just think it's such a great spin on a product that normally has a very different connotation in other parts of the world. You get some grease on your phone once inside the pizza box. <laughs> the doll table actually is the stand. That's how beautiful the design is, is that it goes all the way down and everything is used. It's like a great script. Every piece gets used up. It's funny too, because it's cardboard projection technology. And one of the parts of Google's announcement, which we can share links to highlights of IO, because we didn't really talk about the conferences in a lot of depth, is a cardboard box virtual reality goggles system, which is hilarious. So we've got (laughs) two optical innovations in cardboard to talk (laughs) about. That's right. It's no longer plastics. All right. PJ, what will you be projecting from your pizza box this week? I will be projecting uh, Bjork's new video, which is for a song she did called Stone Milker. And the video is directed by Andrew Wang, who did some interactive and video pieces for her exhibit at the MoMA. He created a 360 degree virtual reality video for this song. So when you pull up the video, it's on YouTube. It just got released before the only place you could see it was at the MoMA. You can actually, with your cursor pan 360 degrees during the entire video it was filmed on one of the coasts of iceland and it features bjork in various 
locations in this. So as you pan around, like so you'll see you her can in different pan places. It. Yep. It's moving the entire time and then you pan yes. your perspective during that motion. Well, it stays in one place the entire time. Even when she moves out of frame, you're sitting there looking at it. So you have to you move it around to see what you want to see. You could just leave it static looking at the shore, but it is amazing. And the song is all about, you know, the lyrics are about being open to things and being accepting of things. And one of her lines was, let's find our mutual coordinates, which is really cool when That's you're, you know, yeah. moving around. On Particularly this. in such an, a remote place. And one yeah. that I've really wanted to visit. I'm obsessed with Reykjavik. I've spent more time in Reykjavik on Street View than I care to admit. There is a new airline. What's it called? Oh, it's called Wow. Wow. And it is based in Reykjavik and it flies throughout Europe and to the U.S. That's super cheap. Sounds like the most amazing news that I've ever heard. <laughs> if we just beat this hyperly thing to death. Literally, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Makes me just want to say wow. All right. Well, we, of course, we'll post the links to that so we can check that out. I'm, yes. I'm eager to see that. Yeah. I'm going to watch the shore for a while, watch Bjork for a while. And that's the thing, too. You could watch the video an infinite number of times and never see the same thing twice. It really it is like you know, video. millions of videos because mm-hmm. you can pan slightly to the left and see. Which is interesting because that's another highlight from Google's I.O. is they've created these apparatus for 360 degree video, take 20 GoPros and strap them to this ball or whatever. Oh, cool. So it'd be really interesting to really get into how they did that too and what technology used to deliver it and all of that because nerds. (laughs) Finally, mine, I think is uh, there, there. There is a matter of some debate of who's culpable for the there, there-iness of this. Lindsey Graham he is a Republican candidate, one of you know several hundred Republican candidates, <laughs> and he is, incidentally, a bachelor. So one of the questions that the journalists haven't been able to resist is, who will be first lady if you are elected president because you are a bachelor? He said, well, I can have a rotating cast of first ladies, which <laughs> he didn't say rotating cast. But I think he said it's a rotating position or something along oh, those lines. That's what she said. So for, exactly. So first of all, <laughs> they're there to... You're phrasing, you know, <laughs> like, what do you, and then second of all, <laughs> it highlights a real bias. I think that this is such an issue in the CNN story. This is another there, there. They reported that is Lindsey Graham married is the number one search on his name. And then they bothered to report sort of apropos of nothing. The number two is what's his stance on gay marriage. Are we trying to suggest something here that because he's a bachelor, I don't know, but the bias there that, there's something defective about him as a bachelor myself. I take exception to that. And then finally, the thing that I think is overarching this is the first lady role is not a clearly defined one, but first ladies have sort of defined a legacy for themselves in the past. And we've had some really great first ladies in the United States. But the idea that there is a position that needs to be filled in first lady is a really interesting way to approach it. I don't know if you guys had thoughts on whether that is something that has defined responsibilities in our culture or not, in our politics. At certain points in history, it's been more important than others. FDR comes to mind. Yeah. Your responsibilities (laughs) include running the country. Yes. It's a clever way of thinking about the duality of the role of that office, which is both commander-in-chief and sort of chief marketing officer, and having two different people available to fulfill different aspects of that role actually kind of does play a pretty critical component to our national presence because you may need to be on the same day both saying we're going to hold this really strong line against a particular policy and also tackling some other maybe more soft issue of like health and wellness and that sort of thing to have just one person doing that 
may feel a little bit duplicitous. Agreed, but at the same time, you could, in theory, create like a separate cabinet position for somebody to do that, and it could be a man or a woman. The responsibilities, broadly, that a first lady is assumed to have are specific to a woman. Yep. Because one of the things you hear all the time is if, well, we had a a female president, what husband is going to want to do first lady duties? He's not going to want to go to teas. Because we do have a culture of, you know, exactly gender-defined culture. Like the first lady's job is to go in and make everybody feel very comfortable and be charming and make nice while her husband is having serious conversations. And thank goodness there have been lots of first ladies that didn't do that and lots of first ladies that did publicly and privately were running the show. And that's why everyone hates Hillary Clinton on the conservative side because she really tried to impact policy. Like she carried healthcare reform for Bill when they were in office. And I say they because they were a team. And that's all the jokes from like, oh, who's really the president? Hillary. Right. Which is a good question. Like, what does it really mean to be president? Because what the Lindsey Graham thing suggests is we don't think that one person can do that whole job. That actually being president is both the person who occupies that office and the first whatever On the one hand, I feel that having a person who would be a bachelor in that role, you get a lot more focus out of that person because they're not dividing their time between having a traditional family setup versus just having to do the job. On the other hand, I feel like the enormous stress of that job, not having some sort of support infrastructure that is on a personal side, that would be cause for some concern. You know, just because I think that it's really hard. That's a terribly public and unforgiving job. And you got to feel like you're not in it alone. Yep. Yeah. Can we rescreen the movie The American President with Michael yeah. Douglas? I, I mean, there's a whole movie mo- based about this. Could be a great way to get dates. Is just have the Secret Service. Would that be an abuse of power? You'd have to, though. You'd have to, like, pre-screen the dates. You'd yeah. have to run background checks and look at their bank accounts. And then the Secret Service would go everywhere with you. So will we have a bachelor president before we have a, I don't know, what's the female i mean we've got candidates on both sides that are female i mean that's going to happen soon i'm hopeful that that happens because i think redefining what it means i think it's important for the country's story as it unfolds so the concern is a bachelor president what if you had a president whose spouse died while the president was in office and assuming that the president didn't leave office or have the vice president take over now what well they're already there so you don't have to go through the whole campaign process and skepticism but But do you like assign somebody to be the so like the emotional guardian of the president yeah like the dowager princess of the <laughs> president i don't know to your point matt there are jobs that people do to support those people and they are really the figureheads of that moment so even in the role of the first lady of the united states or the first person of the united states you have a staff of people that help support you you are obviously the person out in front doing it but there would be people to take on a lot of the duties and as the little jab in cnn said there's still a cultural norm big time about being an adult and being married and oh he's an adult grown up accomplished and not married he must be gay that's sort of implicit in that there's a, a strong bias against single guys with lindsey graham do you think that there's kind of a fervor to uncover some sort of homosexuality on his part because he's republican and because he has not come out in support of gay marriage whereas if you had somebody who is extremely liberal maybe people wouldn't care as much because they'd figure if he is gay he'd just be gay because he's obviously well they figure like he's not actively out there trying to hurt gay people 
So yeah. we don't feel the need to. My sense is that them. there are so many candidates on the Republican side of the ticket this particular go round. They're looking for literally anything th- mm-hmm. to hang their hat on yeah, to try absolutely. and thin the herd. And I, I see. And not wrongly, because at last check, there were over 20 potential candidates. Or not just to thin the herd, but to just make it interesting. They're all becoming commodities. And this guy's different in this very distinct way. And it's interesting. It gives you a news cycle to talk about. So people are Googling this nonstop. So obsessed with who's going to be the first lady. But then you also have Carly Fiorina, ostensibly a candidate, who, Polling as well as Lindsey Graham is. I mean, Lindsey Graham is dead last. Nobody is talking about the fact that Carly Fiorina put all kinds of spyware on her employees' computers at <laughs> HP and like bugged everyone and was wrote out on a rail. That's fine. We're not going to talk about that. We don't care about that. Go, Carly. Write your book. Well, whatever. Just the NSA's book. That's probably <laughs> true. All right. God, I'm so naive. Well, before we end this most excellent podcast of most amazing diversions, I have to make one correction to a previous statement (laughs) my mother wrote me this morning demanding a retraction when i said on last week's podcast about couponing which if you didn't check that out you can go check it out on our show page that hamburger helper was the best meal that she ever made that of course was just a joke i love you mom thanks for listening to the show We always ate well. My mom's a classy lady. She's not some yokel from, you know, she was worried. She does really cool things, your mom. My mom's amazing. Yeah. Like, she's a badass. Everyone should know my mom. Email us at the show and you can meet my mom. Hope that's okay with you. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go, mom. Retracted. All right. So that's it for episode 60. Literally the most hyperbolic show ever. The hyperbole edition. For everything we talked about on the show today, including links to all the cool media that you can experience, you can check out the show page at graphicmachine.com slash ITTT. You can hit us up on Twitter with any of your thoughts, suggestions, or feelings about the show. Our agency is at Graphic Machine, and our show is at their podcast. Every show has a Facebook thread if you want to come and talk about what we talked about. Facebook.com slash Graphic Machine Inc. is where you can find those. And of course, you can email us, ITTT at GraphicMachine.com. Until next week, though, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you then. Bye.